Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. Uh, anybody, welcome everybody, and anybody that's here for the first time, just I always like to remind people that this is not a Refuge Recovery meeting. Refuge Recovery meetings are peer-led. Um, this is a offering from Refuge Recovery World Services. One of our intentions with Refuge Recovery and World Services is to have some teacher-led offerings. And so this is one of the rare uh, Refuge Recovery World Services teacher-led offerings that I do once a month, this first Thursday of the month. And it's very different from a Refuge Recovery meeting because I'm actually giving some teachings and probably answering some questions and uh, hopefully that's not happening in refuge meetings. <laughs> um, so we'll meditate, we'll do about a 20 minute meditation. I'll just offer some instructions and then uh, I'll introduce a topic. The topic for tonight is um, karma, forgiveness and making amends. And so we're going to talk about the um, importance of not only our forgiveness meditation, but also direct relational communication when it's time to make amends and that that is an integral aspect of our program. So we'll talk about that tonight and have some time for some discussion about it and look at the brief section of the book that addresses it. We can look at that together. And I've been told that it's um, a lot of people have questions about it and then it doesn't feel quite as spelled out and um, clear about how to make amends. Um, and I'm actually working on a new section to add to the second edition of the book uh, about uh, some suggested ways to make direct amends to people. So welcome and let's meditate together for a little bit and then we'll have some talk and discussion. So find a way to sit that's upright and relaxed. allowing your eyes to be closed and taking a moment to relax any unnecessary tension your body may be holding. And establishing mindfulness in the body, mindfulness of the sensations of the breath. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Receive the sensations. Meet your present time experience with as much kindness, friendliness, acceptance, 
as you can in this moment. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out, feel the sensations that the breath creates in the nostrils or chest or belly. We try to allow the thinking mind to be in the background as we choose to place our attention, our awareness with the body, the present time experience of sitting, feeling, becoming aware of the sensations. We're not stopping the thinking mind we're trying to allow that planning, remembering, fantasizing tendency of the mind to be in the background. Most of us would admit to being addicted to our minds, a compulsive thinking tendency. Part of the mindfulness of the body is helping us break that addiction to our minds, disengaging, returning to the breath over and over.
And now re-engaging with the thinking mind, with intention, utilizing our brains to reflect on the past. Thinking about forgiveness, the resentments that you have held, that you experience. How it affects your life to be angry. Reflecting on people that perhaps resent you, that you've caused some harm to, people who are angry with you, hurt by you. The regret that we hold for the ways that we have been unskillful in the past, uh, our addictions, or simply our unskillful actions have caused harm to other people. And acknowledging where you're at in this process of forgiveness, whether it's a new concept and practice and process or something you've been working on for a long time. How successful have you been so far at letting go? at forgiving yourself, at forgiving others. And have you made amends? Have you contacted and asked for forgiveness and offered to mend the harm that you've caused? And are you willing to do that, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's scary, even if they don't deserve it? We forgive for our own liberation. We make amends for our own karmic purification so we can be free. And if there's some people, some situations, 
some wounds, some regrets coming up in your heart and mind. Spend the next few minutes asking for or offering forgiveness to whoever's visiting your heart, your mind right now. If you are thinking about people that you've hurt, begin asking them for forgiveness. The forgiveness phrase, please forgive me for having caused you harm. Whether it was intentional or unintentional. I ask your forgiveness. Repeating this phrase over and over, even if it doesn't feel completely sincere yet, just as a practice, as a training for your heart and mind. And if people are coming to mind that hurt you, that you resent, Send them forgiveness. The openness, the willingness, the intention to let go of our anger, our hatred, our hardness around the pains of the past. Out of compassion for ourselves, we forgive others so we don't have to hold it. So we don't have to continue to suffer at them. Saying to them, I forgive you as much as I can in this moment. For all of the ways that I felt harmed whether it was intentional or unintentional. I offer you forgiveness. The intention. Sometimes it's just an aspiration of forgiveness.
in order to fully recover, we're going to need to learn to fully forgive. However long it takes to forgive ourselves, to forgive others, to forgive this world for all of its confusion. Spending the last couple of minutes of our sitting still using your mind, reflecting on your desire for freedom, that healthy wanting to be sober, wanting to be happy, wanting to be free from the clinging, the craving, the controlling, free from addiction, free from suffering. with this acknowledgement of of our desire to be free, to be happy. Making that inner commitment to sincerely doing the work. Putting in the effort so much more than just not drinking or using or crossing our bottom line behaviors. Reaffirming your commitment to your meditation practice, to forgiving in your heart. to the inventories, this unpacking of our suffering, how it has affected ourselves and others. To purifying our karma intentionally volitionally becoming honest and kind compassionate and forgiving and making amends as part of this process commit or recommit to when it's time, when it's appropriate 
making those direct communications to all of the people that we've harmed. Ending with the three forgiveness phrases. I forgive you, just saying that in your heart. I forgive you in a general way, outwards in all directions. Please forgive me. Again, to everyone, everywhere, asking for forgiveness. Please forgive me. And then to yourself, I forgive myself as much as I can in this moment, this mind, this body, this process of existence that's been so challenging at times, meeting ourselves with forgiveness. And when you're ready, you can allow your eyes to open, come back into awareness of seeing and moving and take take a moment before I. Start talking, take a moment to just reflect on what just happened in your meditation. And sometimes uh, we remember when we start to think about forgiveness, oh yeah, I got that resentment or, oh yeah, I'm still kind of holding on to that wound or, so, you know, sometimes after a forgiveness meditation, it's actually, good time to work on inventory or to do some journaling, to write down, to remember some of the things that the heart and mind are still holding to. Karma. Forgiveness and amends. Karma is such a central topic in refuge recovery. Um, 
the first, I guess I could, I could argue that the first five factors of the Eightfold Path, understanding, what do we understand? You got to understand karma is a reality, cause and effect. Intention or, you know, second factor, intentionally behaving in a way that's not going to create negative karma for us. Right speech, right action, communication, action, livelihood, all about the karma we're creating, how we're showing up, and how our actions are going to have consequences, and the importance in our recovery of not continuing to cause negative reverberations and negative karma for ourselves, but to really work hard on creating positive karma. We own all of our intentional actions. This is the teaching of karma is that you it belongs to you. There's a place where the the Buddha says, um, remember that your only true possession in this lifetime are your actions. The only thing that we truly own is how we are behaving, speaking, thinking, acting. Everything else is temporary. Everything else is transient. Everything else will be separated from us at death. You don't get to take anything with you, <laughs> but you own your karma. I think that because this is such a central teaching in Buddhism, um, which in some ways I heard one teacher say, it basically means you never get away with anything ever. <laughs> I like that. This sort of like simplification of like, you never get away with anything ever. You're totally responsible whether you get caught or not. <laughs> you own it. Which also, you know, maybe the positive side of that is that there's so much uh, power actually in creating our own happiness and well being and ability to purify our karma through our own actions in this lifetime. Uh, even if we don't necessarily see, you know, fruits of our kindness and our generosity and our service. And even if you don't necessarily, you still, you own that. No good deed goes unrewarded. If you're actually acting in skillful ways, you own that skillful karma that you've created. Every act of generosity, every act of forgiveness, every act of service, every act of kindness. Because karma is so central to the Buddha's teaching and because we own it and we're, it's going to, you know, all of our actions are going to come back. We're going to have to deal with the momentum that we've created in our life. There wasn't a direct amends process in early Buddhism. Making amends is one of the 
few things in refuge recovery that I borrowed from the 12 steps. When I looked at the 12 steps and how much I had benefited from the 12 steps, and for any of you who don't know, I, <laughs> I continue to uh, appreciate the 12 step, some of the methodology there. But my understanding of, of early Buddhism in the Buddha's time, he says, you know, you have your karma, even like when the murderer Angulimala came to the Buddha and became a Buddhist monk, the Buddha didn't say, go make amends. He said, you're just going to have to live out your life with that karma. And you're going to have to uh, live a, it's like a living amends. Rather than going door to door and saying, I'm sorry, I killed someone in your family, just know that uh, you have the karma of all of that. And it's, and the, that, that story, I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but Angulimala was this serial killer in the time of the Buddha that became a Buddhist. And, and then he said for the rest of his life, he would get beaten. He would get, you know, angry mobs would attack him. And then he would go to the Buddha and he'd say, look, I'm and maybe some of you can relate to that of like, hey, I'm sober now. <laughs> I'm in recovery now. Why is. And so he would go to the Buddha and say, uh, you know, what, like, yeah, I was a terrible person. I killed people and I was so confused. And he's like, but they're going to kill me and they're beating me and they're abusing me. And this is one of those obvious sort of archetypal where the Buddha would just say to him every time, it's your karma and you have to bear it. You have to accept it. You don't get to fight back. You don't get to hate them. You have to forgive them and have compassion, even for the people who are abusing you because of the karma of your past that you created. Now it's easier when it's this lifetime and you can really identify like, yeah, I've got some karma from my actions. It's harder if it's like start getting into multiple lifetimes and, you know, shit from past lifetimes coming back. Like, I don't, I don't know, maybe. In my early recovery, practicing Buddhism, but engaging in 12 steps and working the 12 steps and, um, and, you know, getting to the ninth step of making direct amends in conjunction with my forgiveness practice. I've been doing this forgiveness practice for some time. And then, you know, being encouraged to go uh, knock on doors and make appointments and sit down with people to make direct amends. And I benefited from it so much. I saw how it was helping me forgive myself. I saw how it was helping me have some uh, relationship to my judging mind that, that blamed and shamed and all of the guilt and regret that at least having made amends gave me some uh, wise response to my mind that said, you're a piece of shit because you hurt people. And being able to say, I've also made amends. I'm also trying to take responsibility. I'm also trying to heal. 
recover. Making amends was such a powerful part of my experience of forgiveness that when I created refuge, even though it wasn't completely Buddhist, the amends thing, I just felt like we have to put it in our program. It has to be part of, of what we're doing. There's so much wisdom in that kind of direct relational communicating regret, remorse, making amends. Let's look together, I'll, I'll read briefly. I know you could do this on your own, but on page 61, 61 and 62 are the section of the book that talk about amends. I think it's mentioned in a couple other places, but this is the main place where I say, forgiveness is an action. The act of letting go of hatred and ill will towards others. We've explored the process and understanding of forgiveness in the first factor of the path, but this is where we put our understanding into action. A regular and consistent practice of the forgiveness meditation will be necessary. Even just 10 to 15 minutes a day of asking for and offering forgiveness in your own meditation will train your mind and heart to let go and allow you to be free from the suffering of resentment. For addicts, it's necessary to take forgiveness a step further. While doing the inner work of letting go, we must also make, take direct relational action. The process of releasing the heart and mind's grasp on past pains and betrayals almost always includes taking responsibility by making amends and offering forgiveness when it is appropriate and welcome. Very often, this includes communication with those whom we have harmed, as well as those who have harmed us. This direct communication is the relational aspect of forgiveness. Making amends is a healing and generous act. This in no way means that we have to reconcile with people who have harmed us, or that we should subject ourselves or others to further abuse. Part of the forgiveness and healing process is to create healthy boundaries. We may forgive someone, but choose to never interact with that person again. We must not confuse letting go of past injuries with feeling an obligation to let the injurers back into our life. The freedom of forgiveness often includes a firm boundary and a loving distance from those who have harmed us. We may likewise need to keep a loving distance from those whom we have harmed to keep them from further harm. To that extent, this practice of letting go of the past and making amends for our behavior is more internal than relational. We can let individuals back into our hearts without ever letting them back into our lives. You have the list of people you've harmed and been harmed by from the first truth inventory. Take another look at it, and with guidance and support of your mentor, begin making amends for your behavior. So one of the things that I've been asked is, you know, I don't say, and this is how you make amends. You can write the letter, you send the email, the, um, 
I, I, you know, I don't even, I, I think I say direct, but I, some people that I mentor were a little bit um, surprised and, and a little bit dismayed that an email wouldn't do it, that it actually needed to be a conversation. Um, and it depends on the situation, but my sense of, of amends is that we make an appointment and we have a conversation in person or, you know, at least on Zoom where you can actually see each other and talk to each other, maybe phone calls. People still use phones, <laughs> but um, my sense is that there's part of the asking for forgiveness and the making amends um, that should be done face-to-face if it's safe to do it face-to-face. If you're not going to cause them further harm or they're not going to cause you further harm, you should do it face-to-face. And it can be as simple as, um, you know, acknowledging what has happened. I lied to you. I stole from you. I cheated on you. I, whatever it was that we did to harm someone. And, you know, looking them and talking to them and saying, and, and I want to make amends for that. I know I hurt you with my actions, my unskillful actions. And I, is there anything that I can do to mend it? And actually giving people that opportunity, actually asking them, is there anything I can do? And then sitting there with the discomfort and letting them say, my experience is most of the time, the answer is no. You don't need to do anything, but thank you for acknowledging it. And sometimes, you know, especially if there's financial amends to be made, I, I had a lot of financial amends to make in my early recovery. And I'd go to people and say, hey, I stole this much from you or I, whatever it was, and I don't have it, <laughs> but I'm willing to pay you $20 a week. That's what I can do. I don't have the $5,000 I stole from the job I worked from, but I'll, I'm willing to make installments. I want to be free from that dishonesty. I want to make amends. And I was able to make all of those amends within that first, you know, 10 years and pay back all of the debts. And many people said, don't worry about it. And some people said, fuck, yeah, I want that 20 bucks a week. <laughs> so it just depends on the situation. I actually want to just leave it there and have some dialogue with you. What do you, what's this bringing up for you? Are you already engaged in making amends? Are you willing to make amends? It's clear to you that I feel that it's very important. It's been very important in my recovery. Maybe the last thing that I'll say is, you know, I made all of my early amends. I'm in recovery for 33 years, 34 years this year. Um, I didn't do it. I did, it took me a couple years to get there. The first couple of years I didn't, but then after a couple of years I got there and, and I had a, a sponsor, a mentor who said, you know, this isn't something that you'll, this is something that you'll begin and you'll end, you'll finish, you'll finish all of the amends on your list. We'll go through them together and then you'll check them off. You'll have a clean slate. And I was able to do that within the first 
few years. But then, you know, living I caused more harm and had to make amends again, and, you know, over the years. And just recently, I, I had to make some big, big amends to people who, um, and this is so tricky because so, so often it's, it's both sides, you know, the people that we have to make amends to have also harmed us in some ways and we've retaliated. And it's so easy to justify like, well, I don't need to make amends to them because they actually hurt me a lot more than I hurt them. But you still have to make amends for your part. And so I had this just last year, um, I had to make a whole bunch of big amends to people that I had felt so hurt and betrayed and abandoned by, but I needed to set the appointment and sit down with them and take responsibility for my part and ask for forgiveness for what I, how I had showed up in unskillful ways in our relationship. And the outcome was I felt like I had done all that I could do to heal that. And now I got to sit with the forgiveness process, continued forgiveness process, but that nothing was left unsaid or undone. So open for communication with y'all. Um, it looks like Vanessa is first. Hi, Noah. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So what do you do for amends? Um, like, so say you, let's say um, I've been talking smack about you for five years, all sorts of smack. You've never found out you think we're best buds, but I've said a lot of bad things. What would you, I mean, you're not hurt by it because you don't know. I want to keep my side of the street clean, but if I say sorry to you, then it's like, you know, to, to, to do so would injure them or others. So how does that work? Yeah, no. Um, well, first of all, the injure them or others thing is not part of our refuge perspective. Um, but my, my sense is that, you know, you don't make amends to people that don't feel harmed by you. You change your behavior, you forgive yourself, you, you know, cause probably really what that's coming from guilt, right? Like, oh, I was, you know, gossiping about someone. I feel guilty about it. That's you forgiving yourself. You don't need to say anything to them because you didn't actually, they don't know about it in some way. Now, if gossiping about, like you saying, talking smack about someone, they don't know it was you, but it actually did cause them harm. You could make amends for that. You know, you, you could absolutely, if you were spreading gossip about someone and it caused that person harm, even though they don't know you were the one that was spreading the gossip, you could ad admit to that person, you know, I was one of the people spreading gossip and I know it caused you a lot of harm and I want to make amends for that. But if they weren't harmed by your shit talking, <laughs> that's just on you to, to own. Z from Anchorage, jump in. Yeah, hi. I'm I'm new to this whole thing. Uh, I I'm intrigued by starting on this uh, inventory thing, but it sounds like you're saying this is the first step, and we can jump right into this. But I, I I'm not sure that I feel comfortable doing that. I'm afraid I'll just create more injury. Um, what should I do? The amends is not the first piece. The inventory is the first piece. And the book suggests that first just come to meetings, meditate, 
develop community, start the forgiveness practice inside. Uh, the book says, you know, after your second week or so of recovery, start alternating mindfulness and forgiveness meditation so that you're doing an internal process of forgiveness and developing mindfulness. Get a mentor, start working through the inventories. The inventories are very long. You'll, it'll take you probably a little while to get the inventories done. Work through that. Then with your mentor, where that actually comes in the book isn't until you're on the um, fifth uh, action, yeah, an action. So the, the um, fourth factor of the Eightfold Path. So traditionally what people would do is you start your meditation, you go to meetings, you get a mentor, you start your inventories. Once you're finished with your inventories, then your mentor starts going through, okay, here's First in, first chapter, second chapter, let's look at the third truth together. Let's look at the fourth truth together. Let's look at the eightfold path, understanding, intention, communication. And so then you get to action and in action, it says, have you made your amends? <laughs> so it's not where we start. It's where we get to, but you should probably, you know, my own sense is that people should probably get there within the first year or so. You know, if you've been at this thing for years and haven't made your amends yet, like time to get on it. Thank you. Does that make more sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's down, it's down the road. Sean. Hey, Noah, thank you for your service. Uh, and it's, uh, this is a pleasure and cool thing. I, uh, I keep my video off right now because my connection might let if I turn it on uh, being and what you am I lagging yeah you're cutting in and out a little bit oh uh, uh, the importance of the meditation part of forgiveness because it's not just about avoiding a person I avoided a person thinking I had come to forgive them and then I ran across them and it kicked up a whole ton of stuff and I you know sitting in the meditation tonight really showed that I really needed actively to participate in my own forgiveness of them so i, I just wanted to thank you for that yeah thank you 100 percent. and you know and on 76 when it talks about the effort and the you know and it says you know in your first year forgiveness in your second you know one to five years forgiveness five to ten years until you've forgiven everyone 15 years to life keep doing the forgiveness practice until you can truly be free from resentment and you know and it and for most of us it's going to take years of practicing that meditation and that's why I, I really encourage everyone to keep it on heavy rotation i was in a meeting recently and i was a little dismayed by this in a refuge meeting with somebody who i know has been coming for like six months and we did a forgiveness meditation and he said this is the first time i've heard the forgiveness meditation like six months of coming to meetings. I was like, oh, there's something, you know, this is one of the problems with allowing uh, the meetings where like people just get to choose whatever meditation they want. And everybody's like, well, I'm not choosing that fucking forgiveness. <laughs> that one's too painful. <laughs> and so, you know, this person happened to be in a place where everybody was choosing loving kindness and mindfulness and, uh, you know, equanimity is popular, but you know, I'd be curious, those of you who go to meetings all of the time, and especially the meetings that let 
people choose whatever meditation they want. You know, I, I started a meeting um, and, and encouraged people to consider the uh, meditation study meeting, where each week we go through a meditation from the book uh, in the order that they were written. So every two months, basically, we cycle through mindfulness, all four foundations, all four heart practices. And so that if you go to that meeting, you're getting all of those practices within the first two months, you've heard them all. And then you start doing them again. Anyways, thank, thank you, Sean. Good to see you. Jonathan, go ahead. You know, yeah, I got, I got a bunch of questions, but I'll keep to a couple. Um, I, like you said something about like, uh, forgiveness not being in early Buddhism, but I, I like a, something was ringing in my head when you said that about like, I'm not well versed enough to like name a sutta, but like, and maybe it was just related to monastics. Like, I feel like there was a, for, like, a, like a direct amends process going on. And maybe it was just for monastics. And that's why you mentioned it not being part of it or. Are you talking about the thing where the monks um, admit that they've broken their precepts? Yes, exactly. Yeah. There is a, yeah, and that's a good point. There is a thing in the monastery, in the monastic system, the nuns and the monks, where they say, I have vowed to keep these precepts. It's called the Padi Milka, and then they have to, um, you know, recite it, and they have to admit, you know, I have, I've broken these 17 aspects of my 200 rules that I'm trying to follow. Um, and th there is a ritualized thing where the monk says something like, I forgive you. And, and then also says something like, um, please forgive me if I haven't been a good teacher to you. So, but it's a bit ritualized and it's not direct amends. Like even in that, it's like this ritualized thing where you might admit like I lied to somebody and broke my precept around lying. Just admitting it in the Sangha, there's no process of like, well, go find that person, admit that you lied to them. <laughs> go make direct amends isn't part of it gotcha cool. that's what i mean by it not being part of yeah. that amends not being part of it thank you for clarifying that yeah and my other one was actually i'm glad you mentioned like <clears throat> like borrowing bits from 12 step because i was having a conversation with a like in a 12 step buddhist group the other day <clears throat> and and one of their criticisms was about our thing was that uh like the idea of powerlessness not being included and and i just wanted to hear like your thoughts about that in general, like if it's, yeah, whatever you think about it. <laughs> um, well, two things. One is refuge recovery is uh, part of the lineage of, of self-help, 12-step, you know, they started 89 years ago. We started 10 years ago <laughs> and we borrowed that model of peer led recovery groups. And, you know, so, so much of it is, is inspired by what the anonymous programs have been doing for decades. Mm. Our philosophy is different because a lot of the times the way powerlessness is talked about is in, um, conjunction to, you know, human uh, theism, that God is all powerful and humans are powerless. And that only a external divine intervention can restore you to sanity because you are powerless, you know, and, and keep you sober um, or free from your addictions. 
So Buddhism is a very different perspective than there's this external power that will give you power because you are powerless. It's very different where Buddhism says, you have your karma, but you also have the power to change your behavior and your actions and purify your karma and stop drinking and using and behaving in those ways and clean up, you know, and make amends. And they actually were incredibly powerful. Buddhist perspective um, is that we're not actually powerless. We, uh, we aren't, you know, waiting for a divine intervention. We have the ability and the responsibility to change our relationship to the drugs and the alcohol and the sex and the food and the whatever it is that we're addicted to and that we can and we have and we're a whole bunch of people who have uh, and that don't assign that to a divine intervention because we are powerless and only God is powerful, but that we actually stopped and are recovering together as a community. You know, but Buddhism, I mean, when, one of my other thoughts about powerlessness is like, we're powerless over impermanence. You know, we have a, you know, we've, we've got a lot of influence over things from a Buddhist perspective, but there's some things that we don't like, you can't stop impermanence. <laughs> Totally powerless over constant change. Things are going to just continue to arise and pass no matter how fucking hard you try to hold on. It's going to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So there is some places where we do have to just kind of sit back and say, like, I don't have any fucking control or influence or power over the impermanent nature of all things but I do have an internal ability to change how I relate to the impermanent nature of all things and how much I'm going to cling and how much I'm going to let go and letting go, you know, like in, in the 12 step world, they say, let go, let God here. We just say, let go. (laughs) Right. No God to, you know, catch it necessary. Just let go. It's impermanent. Just let go. So it's a similar function in that non-attachment. Judeo-Christian philosophy assigns all, you know, the 12 steps, Judeo-Christian theism, assigns all of this to some external source. Buddhism doesn't do that. I hope that, I don't know if that. No, that's rad. Because I mean, and I think that's like, you address like the confusion, right? It's like, I think maybe the confusion was like suggesting that like, well, I can use and then just stop and it's no big deal. But like, yeah, I know the way you framed it makes a lot of sense. It's hard as shit to stop. (laughs) Fuck yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We all, we all know that it's, it's terribly hard to stop. Um, But I think my sense and the, maybe the Buddhist sense is, you know, we stop when we're just, sick and tired and beaten down enough and whatever you know whatever happens and uh, and so much many of us have relapsed so many times that we think like this had to be a divine intervention because i couldn't stop on my own but the reality is you stopped you stopped 
somebody, you know, there was, eventually we all stopped. There's that image. I'm going off here a little bit. And I will get to, Michelle will be our last one. But I talked about Angulimala earlier, who is the serial killer who was, uh, and there's this image in the story of um, when Angulimala meets the Buddha. And Angulimala has been out ripping and running and murdering and, you know, shooting dope or whatever he was doing. And then he, he said that he can, he has these like superpowers, you know, it's one of those archetypal mythological, he's got, and he can run faster than horses and, and the Buddha's uh, nearby doing slow walking meditation, just doing his like chilled out Thich Nhat Hanh walking meditation, just one step at a time. And Angulimala starts chasing him. And supposedly he can catch anybody, but this is one of those mystical things, but he can't close the gap while he's running as fast as he can. And the Buddha's just strolling. And so he gets fed up and he screams at the Buddha and they're not that far apart, but he can't close the gap. He screams at the Buddha and he says, stop. And the Buddha slowly, slowly turns towards him. And then they're like face to face. And, and the Buddha says, I stopped a long time ago. I stopped clinging. I stopped resenting. I stopped hating. I stopped killing. I stopped lying. I stopped. I stopped. I stopped the causes of suffering in my life. When are you going to stop? And and that's his moment of clarity and his, you know, conversion. And Gulimala says, I want to stop. And you're inspiring me. Uh, and will you teach me how to stop? I'm so tired of killing. So tired of suffering. So tired of reacting to my pain in this way that's just making it worse. And that it's the, you know, we get inspired by someone who has stopped rather than a magical intervention. It's an internal shift from a Buddhist perspective, but sometimes it is inspired by people. You know, you show up to a meeting, you think I can't fucking do this. And you show up to a meeting, you see a whole bunch of people who are claiming to be in recovery. <laughs> You're like, this is actually possible? You people actually don't lie, steal, cheat, get loaded, whatever? Like, and it's that, ex, you know, so they're the only external refuge is the Sangha. And if there's any higher power, it's the Sangha. It's, you know, the people who are doing the work and inspire us to do our work. Hope that's helpful. Michelle, you get the last word. Yay. Thank you for doing this topic. I appreciate you for it. And, um, you know, my question is about maybe it's procedural or something, but like, what if I owe or stole from a place and they've closed? That's one of them. And then the other one I think about is like, well, what do I need to find a private investigator to like hunt somebody down for me if I can't find them? You know, like what are maybe some solutions to those? 
Um, for the first one, some people have found it useful, like if it's a financial amends and they, you know, it's not possible to make it because the business is gone or, or whatever it is to take that money and give it to a, a worthy, you know, to go ahead and rather than keep it in order to purify that karma, give it to a worthy cause. All right, cool. So you can find, you find your way with that. You know, I think you'll feel better. Most of us will feel better if like, well, I wasn't able to pay them back, but I took that money and I, helped feed some people or I helped, you know, I helped some organization that I believe in, or I, you know, save some animals, whatever it was, I did something good with it rather than kept it. And, you know, so I think that that's, that's a piece for that. Um, and then uh, the second piece, to what lengths do we go to track these people down? Now with social media, it's so much easier these days than it was back in my day, back in the <laughs> 1980s, when we didn't have Facebook <laughs> and Friendster was, you know. <laughs> it's easier and easier to find people because, you know, the majority of people are either on social media or people who know them are on Facebook or Instagram or somewhere out there. So, you know, the computers can usually track people down if you're really looking. And, you know, it depends on how computer literate you are. Um, and if you're not super computer literate, there's people in the Sangha that are and be like, I can find that fucker for you. Easy. <laughs> Bunch of hackers, you know what I mean? But if you really can't um, find them, you have to hire a, a you know, would you say a, pri a PI? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've never gone to the, those lengths, but I also haven't had much difficulty finding people. Part of it is the willingness. A big part of it is the willingness because you'll also find when you're making amends that sometimes you reach out to people and you make the call and you do the thing and they don't call you back. They don't want to talk to you, but that's still checked off of your amends list. You don't need to track them down and force them to listen to you. That's not what we're doing here. It's the willingness to have that conversation and the request, will you be willing to listen to me? I had a lot of people that I reached out to to make amends, even recently. And they said, no, I don't want to talk to you. Check. Done. Cool. I'll call there at work. No, just kidding. <laughs> No. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. So let's leave it there for today. Forgiveness, karma, amends, central to our recovery, understanding. We own it. But just because we own it doesn't mean just living amends. It'll be so helpful to talk to the people that you've hurt and ask them for forgiveness and ask them if there's anything that you can do to mend the harm that you've caused and listen.
super good to be here. Glad to see everybody. Thanks for hanging out with me on a Thursday and uh, see you next month. I haven't decided a topic yet for next month, but uh, I'll think of one. Right now, I'm just sort of freestyling. Last, last month, I wanted to talk about service. This month, I want to talk about amends. So I'm just kind of thinking about topics that are you know central to refuge that maybe we're not talking about enough or aren't clear enough in meetings and um, maybe mentorship. I kind of talked about that last month, but a couple of announcements. Um, the third Thursday where I have the Q&A um, for stuff around like, you know, group rep stuff or stuff that's happening in meetings or questions that you have about the refuge recovery program or process will be happening this month. Um, what's the third Thursday date, Vanessa? 20, 21? 21st, yeah, so on the third Thursday. Um, I think it's the, you can get the info there on the Refuge Recovery web, website. And then a bunch of events coming this year. I hope some of you will come. We, let's see what's next. We got this New Mexico retreat. I know there's one spot left at the seven day refuge recovery um, retreat for a female, because there's a shared room, female shared room. So if there's a woman who wants to come sit uh, for seven days, there's one bed left and the rest of the retreat is full. Then in um, June, we have the refuge recovery conference. If you don't know about that, it's on the website. It's open for registration. It's residential. It's camping. There's either like cabins like that you can stay in or you can actually bring your tent and and camp out. Um, in September, there is a three day silent retreat in North Carolina in the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Um, that's also open for registration. And then the last one of the year is that we'll have another week-long retreat in Taos, New Mexico. I think it's in November. So April, June, September, November, opportunities to get together with the Sangha, opportunities to deepen your practice and your recovery, and hope to see some of you in person at some of those events. Uh, Noah, may I also plug um, for the third Thursdays, if anyone has any questions they want asked anonymously, they can send them to questions at refugerecovery.org and I'll ask them. I'll know who they are, but I won't reveal on the thing. Thank you. Or if you do reveal, you'll have to make amends later. Many goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha Dharma, our process of recovering, of healing and awakening. May we share this merit, these blessings, this goodness outward in all directions with all living beings. May each one of us get free and stay free. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.